family's had an inordinate amount of funerals. I could list all the different people in my family that have gone to be with the Lord, but uh, I think at every one of the services, we sang, It is well with my soul. What a great uh, secret to learn in the Christian life that whether peace is flowing like a river or it's sorrow like sea billows, God can teach us how to be well in the heart, well in our soul, regardless of the circumstances. Love the words of that hymn. First verse, of course. Second verse, all my sin, not part, all my sin nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And that's enough to jump up and down a little bit. And then the third verse that looks forward to when uh, our faith shall be made sight and the Lord shall descend and so on. Anyway, great words in that old hymn. I spent four years in Italy, loved it, loved the people. The food is particularly great. If you're going to be a missionary, check out what you're going to eat before you go. But anyway, Italy was great. Uh, I learned that Italians have a whole different view of pasta than most of us do here in the United States. They know how to do it. For the major Italian meal of the day, uh, pasta is the first course. They kind of break it up clear the table and do another course, but pasta is always first because it is critical to get the pasta al dente. Al dente it means it, it boils in the water, salted water by the way, if you don't salt your water when you do pasta, try it out, you'll thank me later, but anyway, you put salt in the water and al dente means it's just turned from where it's still a little hard inside, it's just turned. They do not boil it until it turns to... <clears throat> They just, they, they, they want it al dente. And when it's perfect, and mom is in the kitchen, stirring the pot, when it's just right, she'll yell to the whole family, wherever they are in the house, a tavola, which means to the table, and they come running, because they know this is a, there's a short shelf life, as far as they're concerned, to pasta. And that's the first course. You sit down, boom, bowl the pasta in front of you with whatever sauce or how, whatever form is coming in on that particular meal. 10 to 12 minutes later, whatever pasta is remaining is thrown out like garbage. Because to the Italians, it turns to glue. And uh, I, when I told them that, well, in the United States, we don't waste that pasta. We snap it into Tupperware lids and put it in the refrigerator and warm it up later. And they just went, ah! they couldn't get their head around that so the americans they eat glue this is what we do they want it just so now the thing is most food items are absolutely the best right when they're prepared if you had a turkey or a ham or whatever you ate thursday i, I smoked one we have a pellet grill and it takes a long time. Put that baby on early in the morning. It was between five and six hours on the grill. <laughs> and when you pull it out, it just looks like, <gasps> and then when you put the knife to it and the juice flows down and the smell of a smoked turkey, it is never better than right then. Now, we all do Thanksgiving leftovers, and oh yeah, I cleaned up the turkey afterwards, put it in the Ziploc bags, threw it in the refrigerator, and I've been kind of eating those pieces of turkey ever since. Now, they're not terrible, but they're nowhere near what they were when it came off the grill. My wife makes chocolate chip cookies that are just unbelievably good. She's done it for years. 
uses the C's chocolate chocolate chips, the big ones, and these mega cookies that are just, (gasps) and when they come out of the oven, (sighs) they are, the whole house, the whole kitchen area just smells like cookie. And and she puts them on these little racks on the counter, which makes them extremely vulnerable to passers-by because they're warm and they are so good. Here's what my wife, she doesn't like to leave them out for more than like a day. She says, oh, they just dry out and get hard. So she she puts them in bag and puts them in the freezer. And it just makes me want to cry (laughs) Because, because they'll never be as good as they were when they first came out of the oven. We're talking a little bit about leftovers today. And we're talking about life in a a very sad chapter in the book of Genesis. We don't want to do sad. It's the holiday season, man. Let's go. Well, I think there's something to learn as we've been talking about comebacks. And we've said our God is a God of comebacks. Not that God needs to come back. But we sure do from time to time. Across the board. So, how might God use you? That's the first question this morning. Remember, fresh out of the oven or quite a bit old. How might God want to use your life, want to use my life? And here's the the honest answer. We We don't really know because we can't see ahead. God knows, but we don't. We can't see ahead. We don't know. And then the follow-up question, so is it possible to live a life of leftovers and just kind of get along, but maybe not be used of God in the way we could have been? Chapter 25 of Genesis is a kind of a woulda, coulda, shoulda chapter, which is no way to live. It's no way to live going, oh, if only I would have. (laughs) You know, I I could have done that differently. I should have. That is regret city, and that's not how we're called to live. And yet, there are some things to learn here in Genesis chapter 25. Years ago, uh, in offices all over the country, there were uh, banners, uh, posters, plaques, coffee mugs made that were motivators, and that was the the name of the the product, motivators. And and they said all kinds of really cool, you know, yeah, cool things about me. Well, someone with a warped sense of humor started a company to counteract motivators, and it's called Despair Inc. And they made the same looking products in banners and posters and uh, coffee mugs, et cetera, but they were sarcastic demotivators. And if you don't have that kind of sense of humor, I don't want you to be offended, but if you're a little bit warped like me, one of my favorite demotivators was a picture of a large ocean-going vessel that, I don't know if it hit a rock or it had a leak. The whole stern was up in the air, and it was, it was sliding down in the middle of the ocean. It was going down. And, and, and the caption underneath the picture of the ship was, it could be the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Okay, some of you like that sarcasm. Some of you are wondering, what kind of turkey is this up here? Okay. Chapter 25 of Genesis is right along that line. Here 
is a life that serves as an example to others, as a warning to others. Here it is, Jacob and Esau. Now, in your notes it says people are where they are because of appetites or motivators. People are, you are where you are in life, largely. I am where I am in life, largely due to the motivational triggers in our life, due to the appetites that we have. And I believe God wired us all with a whole bunch of different drives, different motivational triggers in our life, which I, and I think the study of motivation is fascinating. Years ago, I did some writing on it, biblical motivation. I think, ah, because God is trying in life to motivate us to do the things he wants us to do. And on the other side of the equation, Satan is trying to motivate us to do the things that God doesn't want us to do. And, and, and we are people that have these appetites, motivational triggers. Here are just a few of them. The easy ones are the first two, food. And we all found out Thursday. Oh, yeah, we were hungry when we came to the table. We quelled the appetite, but only for a bit of time. It always comes back. Sex, I don't even need to say much about it. it. We are all sexual beings, and that's a drive. God put it in us for righteous purposes. Satan has just turned that thing inside out and upside down. Responsibility. There are those of us that are, that, that's a big one. We want to take on more responsibility. We want to be the guy that carries the ball. We, respect. None of us, us want to be that guy that nobody, Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, winning is a big one. It was Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Green Bay Packers, that said winning isn't, the, isn't everything. It's the only thing. And he was driven, as many athlete types are, got to win, got to win. I assign my value to whether I win or lose. Love, oh yeah, of course that's a motive. Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in so many faces. So, except that's a huge one. Most of us, we want to be accepted by our friends, by our peers, uh, by our family, uh, by anyone. Recognition, that's a big one for, for a lot of people. I've been in a lot of churches, and I'm, please, I'm not, it's going to sound critical. A lot of churches where people's names are on pews and on, uh, on podiums and on church furniture dedicated to or given by this family. Bricks outside, the pavers, you know, with the name. Recognition, I want to leave my mark. I want people to know I was here. Uh, things. Well, that's huge. That's huge. We just crossed through that other day that now we've named the day after Thanksgiving. What's it called? You all know that one. Black Friday, which is where we are uh, cajoled into looking for great deals. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't even watch the news this year about this, but used to be people would line up the night before and camp out and just go crazy to get a deal because there's things we can get at a better price. And, of course, fame, 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 fame. I want to be known. I want to be somebody. These are, these are all not a complete list. These are all motivational triggers in our lives. Every one of us has a little bit different mix in terms of which ones are stronger and which ones are not as strong, but we're all wired with triggers to motivate. We all have appetites in different areas. Three things about them right there in your notes. God created them. Sin distorted them. But God created sin. The appetite itself is not evil. But they've certainly been distorted by sin. Secondly, they're never fully satisfied. 
There's a button in most of us in our strongest appetite that's always saying, more, more. It's never enough. We want more. And thirdly, they always say, now. Never later. Our appetites scream now. They scream more. And if we allow them to be disoriented by the enemy of our souls, it can be a real a real problem to life as we know it as a follower of Jesus Christ. So, let's step into Genesis 25. And let me give you just a little bit of a placemat background here because it's so long ago in human history. The culture was different. And one of the things that was different is uh, birthrights. It says birthrights in your notes. Now, God told Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky, like the sand on the seashore. I'm going to bless you, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Wow. That was passed on, that covenant was passed on to his son, Isaac. And then Isaac had twin boys. And even though it's a great story, and this is the beginning of the Hebrew nation, there's a lot of dysfunction going on by the time we get to Genesis 25. It's kind of messed up, but a birthright went to the oldest son of the family. A birthright meant that when the inheritance was doled out after the death of the father, the patriarch, the birthright was given at least twice as much as the other portions of the inheritance. And see, that's not the way we think. We, well, that's not fair. That's the way they did it. Sometimes it was more than a double portion. So that if you were the oldest son, if you had the birthright, you were pretty much guaranteed a wonderful financial launch, maybe even wealth, depending on how much estate was there in the family. You also were called upon to be the family judge, so that if there was disagreement, if there was uh, family issues, if there were problems, you were the final arbiter, you were the one that made the call, if there was a call to be made so it was a lot of responsibility that went with the birthright. It was a position of wealth and influence and, if you will, power in the family. It was a big deal. So Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac had those twin boys. And they couldn't have been more different. Esau was born first. And his name even means red, well, I've heard it said red hairy thing. Because that's how he came out of the womb. He, he was ruddy red, and he red hair later, and, and uh, grew into a manly man, a, a hunter, that kind of a thing. And Jacob, twin brother, right behind him, actually had a hold of Esau's heel, which is kind of symbolic. But Jacob was so different than Esau. It's just amazing the way this family worked. It says Jacob loved Esau because Esau was a manly man. Esau was hairy and big, and he was out in the field, and he hunted, and he probably smelled bad, but it was, it was a guy thing. And Jacob, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, from what I know, I'm, I'm kind of injecting here, but I don't think the man could even grow a beard. He was smooth-skinned, it says. He dwelt in tents. He stayed with his mother. He was a mama's boy. Rachel just kept Jacob here, and he learned to cook, and I, I can imagine he was artistic, and he liked to rearrange the furniture. I don't know. I'm just saying they were so different from the picture painted here in Genesis. You're manly man, sweaty, hairy, and you're kind of smooth-skinned. Uh, I, I, I found a new recipe today, Mom, that kind of guy. 
Esau had the birthright. He was going to be the one. So let's step into the passage, and, and this, is, this is really sad, but there is a lesson here for us as we talk about life comebacks. It says um, in Genesis 25, 29, Now Jacob cooked a stew. Yep, that's what he did. And Esau came in from the field. That's what he did. And he was shocked. He was weary. He was wiped. He'd been out hunting. And And Esau said to Jacob, he walks in and he smells what Jacob is cooking. And it must have smelled great. Man, when, when I was a kid growing up, we just had kind of a family ritual We'd go to church every Sunday morning, but before going, Mom would normally take a pot roast, put the potatoes around it, the carrots around it, sprinkle onion soup mix on top, and put it in the oven. So when we came in the door after church, oh, that was so good. I kind of envision it that way, only worse for Esau. He comes in and he says to Jacob, please, Feed me. Give me some of that. I'm dying here. Give me some of that red stew. But Jacob said, and isn't this conniving? This is so little brother. He saw an avenue to negotiate, to take advantage, and he just thought he'd give it a shot. I got to think Jacob thought he'll never go for this, but hey, give it a shot. He looks kind of desperate. Looks like it's been a rough day for my big bro. Let's see what happens. So Jacob says, Sell me your birthright. You want some of this? Sell me your birthright. Think, I'm, I'm sure he thought he'll never do it. Esau said, come on, man. I'm about to die. Oh, who cares about a birthright at a time like this? I am starved. Uh, you can almost hear it. Two brothers and, uh, and Esau is playing fast and loose with the birthright. The thing that would determine his future. The thing that would set him and his family to be up for life. But here we go. Appetites. Motivational triggers. He was so locked into his immediate want, his immediate need, that everything else would blurt out. There's, there's two uh, phrase or, uh, terms there in your bulletin that, that describe this. The first is impact bias. Impact bias is kind of a feelings forecaster. Uh, and it tends to absolutely elevate and expand whatever motivational trigger, whatever category we're talking about. In this case, for him, it's food. But... He was convinced that this is the thing. It can be a negative or a positive. This is what I want right now. This is going to make all the difference in my life if I go down this road. That's impact bias. It can be negative or positive. This is the person I want to be. This is, I want her, and I want her now. Just That's what I want. Focus on that. The second term is focalism. It's kind of a cousin of the first one. Focalism is that quality that allows us as human beings to focus on what we want so completely that everything else kind of blurs out and and we're not even totally aware or thinking about consequences to a choice we're thinking not we're just this is it this is what i want right here uh i don't know 
Guys, have you had that experience when you were younger in school where there was that prettiest girl in the class and you were sitting a couple rows behind her and it was a boring class anyway, but you're just leaning on your desk just looking at her going, whoa. And the teacher's going, wah, 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 wah. You, you're just looking at you're just thinking, of, you're just focused on one thing, you don't hear anything else. And then, of course, the teacher calls on you. What's the answer to that, Jim? Huh? What? That's focalism. And combined with impact bias, this is where Esau is living. The most important thing is that birthright, he's ready to chuck it for what he's focused on in the moment. A bowl of stew. Then Jacob said, this is verse 33, swear to me as of this day. This is really a deal, swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to his puny little brother. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils and he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised or discounted or tossed away his birthright. And I don't know how many times you've read this passage. It's hard not to read that and go, what an idiot. Who would sell their birthright in that culture, the most important? Who would sell their birthright for a bowl of stew? Who would do that? Well, I think any one of us could do that on different levels. We're not talking about birthrights, but we are talking about our potential future. We are talking about how God may use us, and we don't know what that looks like. We are talking about being usable in God's hands. And I believe no matter how old we are, this certainly applies to young people, but I think even people with gray hair or, or little hair fit in the picture here too. What might God do for us if we harness under the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives these motivational triggers, if we aim them and use them for righteousness rather than for selfishness and what I want and what I want now and what I'm focused on, I gotta have it. How does that affect our future? In terms of usability in God's hands. Who knows what we forfeit when we yield to right now? Who knows? Because we don't see the future. And how many lives, how many followers of Jesus have made a poor decision based on an appetite that was out of control that really kept them from being used by God in a way that he could have used them otherwise. Now there's deceit and there's dysfunction in this family, but moving ahead now, the saddest part, the saddest few verses here in the chapter, start with verse 34, and I've, I've taken out a couple little parts of it here, but it says, when Esau heard the words of his father, he'd come in to get the blessing. I, I don't know if that means he had... It was just ignoring the fact that he'd made this deal with Jacob or what, and Jacob snuck in, and Isaac, his nearly blind father, gave him the blessing that belonged 
to the, the birthright. And uh, Esau comes in later. He heard, hears the words of his father. He cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Now remember, big, hairy, strong men don't cry. But this is now, the focalism is over. This is some time removed, and Esau is going, ah, oh, what did I do? Ah, there's got to be a way to fix this. Come on, come on, Dad. Bless me also. Bless me, oh, my father. But Isaac said, well, your, your brother come and has taken away your blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? He's almost whining. This is the manly man. This is the big, hairy hunter. And then Isaac answered and said to Esau, I've made him your master and all his brethren. I've given to him his servants with grain and wine. I've sustained him. What, am I, what am I going to do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing? My father, bless me. Me also. My father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And that is sad. So, bring it into our own lives. What do you think your bowl of stew is? Maybe there's more than one thing. We've all got motivational triggers. We all have appetites. I think God wired us that way. Satan loves to use them against God, against us. What do you think your bowl of stew is? What is the thing that you're tempted to focus on and then begin to kind of rationalize? It's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. It's okay. You're just blurring out what you know because of the Holy Spirit who indwells. You know is not pleasing to God, but it's now, and I want it, and it's important, and this is going to be awesome, and it's all going to work out. And then comes the, the buyer's remorse later. You know, there never used to be an Amazon. Boy, it makes it easy to go shopping, doesn't it? You don't even have to think. You just wheel through all of the, oh, this could be here by tomorrow. Oh, look at that price. This is, all you got to do is click. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's in one of these other areas. But I wonder, and I have no doubt that most of us are able to identify it in the silence of our own heart right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your bowl of stew? And then I'll ask the question that's in your notes. At the end of life, what are you going to wish you'd done more of? And what are you going to wish you'd done less of? Uh, it's easy for both. I wish I'd have spent more time in God's Word. I wish I'd have learned to love Jesus more deep. I wish that I had spent time with my family. I wish that I had... I w what are you going to wish you'd done less of? Ooh. I'm not going to say that out loud. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do as we wind down this morning. I'd like to ask, I'd like you to ask God to empower you to spend the rest of your life closing the gap between what you wish you had done and what you are doing. 
Doesn't matter how old you are. No, it's too late for me. I'm my man. I messed the whole thing up. No, it's never. It's not too late. I want to challenge you to ask God to empower you to close that gap. Thinking about what you wish you'd spend more time doing and what you actually are doing. Closing a gap. Why? Because. Because here is an example of a man that could have been huge in history. It could have been that years later, when God introduced himself to Moses, that he introduced him as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It could have been that Esau was the one through whom the Messiah came centuries later. But he traded it for a bowl of stew. Well, I'm asking, what's your bowl of stew? What is the thing in your life that might keep God from using you as powerfully, as broadly, as effectively as he otherwise could because of unharnessed appetites? Why live a life of leftovers? Leftovers aren't so bad, they're nothing compared to straight out of the oven. And I want to encourage you because it's a, it's a sad chapter. There is time for a comeback. There is always time to turn it around at whatever point we are in life. There's always time to say, this stops Lord, I need help. Empower me to close the gap between what I wish I was doing and what I actually am doing. I don't want the regrets at the end of life. Esau went on and is kind of just a fringe player. You see him again in the Old Testament, but he's got his own country, but it never comes to much. Jacob, on the other hand, oh my goodness. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, a nation forged in Egypt, comes back into the promised land. Joshua takes it. Away we go. The Messiah is born through it. Jacob is part of that. He's one of the big patriarchs. Regardless of the deceit, because his brother couldn't control those impulses, those wants, those appetites. There's time for a comeback. You guys all know the man I'm about to describe, but in 1961 he was born. Uh, he was raised and in, into adulthood. He tried several different businesses, and life started to go downhill for him. He became addicted to cocaine, then crack cocaine, and an alcoholic all at the same time. He was at the bottom. But when he was almost 50 years old, well, actually it was later than that, it was 2009 when he says, through prayer, he got his life turned around. And of all things, he started a pillow company. And you have sung along with that jingle so many times that you're probably ready to go, no more, please no more. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit, Okay, 
Mike Lindell, later in life, turned to God, made a comeback. Not that we have to hit bottom first. There's no reason that at any point in time we can't stop, stop, and ask God for that strength, that empowerment. Stop doing this and start doing that because we want to be used. There is nothing more satisfying in life than being used by God. It's what we're designed for. There's nothing more fulfilling than being used by God and recognizing, whoa, I don't deserve, God actually used me a little bit. Whoa! We touch eternity when God uses us. Or we can just kind of push that to the side and do our own thing because we haven't learned to control, to harness those drives in us and point them in the direction of righteousness rather than sin. Why don't you stand with me, would you? I'm going to ask you to speak to God silently I gave you a framework on the screen a little while ago. Essentially, ask God to empower you, to strengthen you through the Holy Spirit that lives within. To close the gap between what we know God wants us to do, what we wish we were doing more of, and where we're struggling. Don't feel like it's under control so much. To close the gap so that we would be more usable to him. Speak to him right now. Ask him for strength. It's not because we're strong and we're able fathers because you're strong and you're able and when we call on you for help you help us and this morning there's many of us that are asking you to empower us to close that gap because in the end it's not just so we can be bright shiny christians it's because we want to be used by you in an effective way we want to touch other lives we want to touch our community and our city we want to be used as individuals and as a church so father give us the strength we need to not go the way of esau but to harness those desires and live righteously for your sake and for your glory Help us do that, even this week, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here this morning. Now, if you want to still pray with somebody, there will be some of your elders up here. I'll hang around for a while, too, just to encourage you in prayer. It's not a matter of you have to dump all your stuff, but we'd love to pray with you. It's one of the good things I see that Desert Breeze does here. You pray for each other. So as I dismiss you, the elders will be here. And I will do that right now. Thanks for being here. May God bless you, and I'll see you next weekend.